Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. You are a premium app subscriber. And for that, we thank you. This is our private um, podcast that mm-hmm. gets uploaded on the weekends. Is so. that going to be our name for it? Focus Compounding Private Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> That's we, what we're we going to do. do. Oh, okay. We could do that. <laughs> this is the podcast where you could clip anything we say because we are not filtered. <laughs> this is unfiltered. All right. Because <laughs> this is not out to the masses. Um, hope everyone is having a great day great week whatever it is how was your week this week jeff uh my week was good does this go out on a weekend or how well, today's sunday so i'm gonna upload this on sunday it's gonna be weekends that people or, get it or maybe we'll do saturday but yeah this is always gonna be a weekend thing. okay so you'll get this on the weekend yeah good week have you uh any new interesting companies you analyzed this week um oh i wrote up something for the uh premium site i wrote up hifs hingham institution for savings mm-hmm. so which is a company right. that we've been talking a lot about recently i feel like we have some people asked about it send in some emails and stuff about it and i did do a initial interest post for it i think i rated the interest 80 percent or something which is very high yeah it's very yeah. high what do you like about it uh well all the things i mean it's cheap it's growing fast i like the management um it uh i mean I, i'm actually surprised how cheap it is and stuff because that stock actually has a I would say a pretty big cult following on Twitter. Yeah, a lot of people, very, whenever they talk about a great yeah. bank, they always reference yeah, that stock. Yeah, I know. That's a concern for me. Yeah, they do. It has a great it's long-term a record. Ton. Yeah, it has a great long-term record. So it basically just exists since it was taken over about, um, uh, what is it, 27 years ago, I guess. And it, although it dates back to the 1800s and stuff, it, ha- it has nothing to do with what it is today. What it is today is just these last 27 years. And it was turned from a very small bank into what it is now, basically by retaining its earnings, not paying a lot on dividends, and then having a high return on equity. Historically, its return on equity has been like 15% a year for a long time. I think it may be even higher going forward um, oh. because of the change in interest rates. Because this bank benefits more from short-term interest rates going to like nothing. Wow. Um, yeah. They borrow short-term. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more wholesale type stuff and things like that. So they're, they're loans to deposits. They have more loans than deposits. So they're over 100% loans to deposits. And then, so what that means is they're borrowing some money to fund their loans. Mm-hmm. And um, they will do more of that at lower rates. So I suspect that for a time, their earnings will jump from that. Um, so like... This most recent quarter, they were annualized at an 18% return on equity, and that's possible for the next year. They could definitely hit that. And if you look at it the way that I looked at it, if you just took the most recent quarter, which is not always the best way to do it, but you can do it for a bank, and multiply it by four, and assume that's what the next year will look like, um, then your PE is nine on this stock. Wow. Yeah. And historically, it certainly has What's the return on equity? 18%. Your price to book is 17 I think 1.8, something like that. So that's one reason people may not like it is it looks very expensive on price to book, certainly. But you, those are the types of banks that you like. Yeah, high quality, especially this one because it doesn't pay out a ton in, in dividends. Now it pays out more than it appears to because it may pay special dividends sometimes and stuff. But if you think about it, um, they create the most value because they reinvest. You want something to, if you can earn 15 to 18% on your money, I can't earn that in the stock market. I mean, that's pretty hard to do. Mm-hmm. So you want them to take that and earn it for you, not have give you a dividend that you pay taxes on, and then you have to go find, I mean, think about it, even if you're a pretty good investor, right? And even in pretty good times, not with high stock prices or something, you'd say, okay, can I do 15 to 18% a year? Maybe with a lot of hard work and stuff. And then I have to pay a tax on my dividends before I do that. So then adjusted for taxes, I need to find something that's even higher than what they can reinvest at and stuff. So you'd rather they reinvest as much as possible if they can get 15% or more on their money. Sure. You know, keep deferring those gains that you'd have and all that. You want you want that in the form of compounding 
a 15, you know, you want book value compounding at 15% a year um, for years and years and you not having to pay any taxes on it, you being able to stay in the stock rather than, um, rather than having to pay, you know, the large dividends, which is what most people like in banks. They like the large dividends. As I say, that's like typical John Malone, right? If you have this vehicle that earns high returns and they're paying a dividend, you'd be mm-hmm. like, what? What? No, I don't want this right. dividend. Please keep reinvesting back in your business. Yeah. And even with paying some dividend, they were able to compound book value at 15% a year the last uh, five years. But it's a highly unusual bank. And so I do want to warn people about that. There are aspects to it that are definitely... Um, potentially riskier than what other banks do. I mean, riskier, like they're doing different things. So you want to be careful not to just assume all banks that have the same returns are like, you know, the safety is the same and stuff. Um, This bank borrows short and lends long in a big way. It only really makes two kinds of loans. It also does construction loans. So, I mean, I did a calculation where I would estimate between more than 50%, but maybe not more than 65% of the entire bank um, that you're buying into is just tied to single family housing and multifamily housing in and around Boston. That's it. So you have a mix right now. The mix is more like 60% or so, what more like what I'd say like apartment buildings and things like that, but some of them are pretty small. Um, and uh, homes, right? And they're all in that area. They only have a few branches and stuff. Um, the bank also has an equity portfolio, which is very unusual for a bank. It has a stock portfolio. It owns stocks, yeah. About What's 20%. the value of that? about $40 million. It's about 20% of book value. So that's very big. Um, so I said you could kind of ignore it because the bank's returns are kind of higher than the returns in the equity portfolio will be anyway, probably. And that, I mean, if your bank's earning 15 to 18% a year, it's hard for a stock portfolio to do that. Mm-hmm. And in addition, 80% of the bank is actually, uh, 80% of the company is actually in core banking stuff and they break it out for you now they now talk about core earnings and stuff Mm. so core earnings per share because one issue is that you know that there was a change this everyone knows this because of berkshire where you report Mm. quarterly your gains and losses on realized gains and losses in your stock portfolios which is a very strange thing but it's how they kind of works now so as a result the reported earnings are just meaningless yeah because think about it i mean if if your portfolio goes up 25 percent or down 25 percent, suddenly your bank's saying that you've just made or lost 10 million dollars or something yeah Mm -hmm. why did they make that change because i feel like it just complicated things it does but on the other hand, you know, there's been a move to mark to market stuff for a long time, mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah. Got it. Have you looked at airports at all recently? No. I was looking at some of the airports, mainly in Mexico and Latin America. And it was, it's very hard because, again, I feel like the driver's thesis is, A, them surviving. It's kind of like movie theaters in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's all sort of uh, attendance-based things, especially because airports are very levered. It's... Are they going to be able to survive? And when is everything going to start to pick up again? I guess you can make the case again, similar to like cruise lines and stuff like that. And I just think that's all stuff that's like very hard to factor. Now you're saying, you you were saying on the movie theater podcast, uh, April of 2021, you know, that's just very hard to factor in, I would say. Yeah, I. so I don't know. I think, I guess compared to most people, I have the opposite view on the movie theater versus uh, airports thing you know that I'm somewhat concerned that there may be an actual change in business behavior due to COVID. Whereas I'm less concerned in a change in consumer behavior. And most people I think is the reverse, but I'm not sure. See, I think that like, I'm not as worried that everyone's staying home and watching movies at home and watching, you know, all that stuff more and not going to theaters for six months or a year or whatever is going to change their behavior completely. Once they can go back out, Mm. I am more concerned that businesses will realize 
oh, we can actually cut down on our travel expenses by a lot. We don't have to do face-to-face meetings for these things and all that. And it doesn't have to be a big shift. And even with something like airports, you know, they basically get their fees on the, from the, they basically, half or more of their business usually is directly from the airlines, which is either on the basis of like a per passenger type fee or like a weight of the aircraft type mm-hmm. fee. And so, you know, if business travel comes down a bunch, that's a bit of a problem. And of course, then you're trying to squeeze harder customer your customers the airlines that are in bad shape presumably i wonder how many i I wonder if like the outcome of covid for a lot of businesses is really going to be like a a reset sort of trimming the fat airbnb came out and Mm -hmm. they were saying that because of covid they kind of like got back to the basics they stopped doing a lot of other things that they were doing you know movie theaters for example i wonder if they're going to maybe trim the fat and some edges and stuff like that i wonder if it's just gonna be like a big reset for a lot of different industries right well economically that's kind of the issue when we talk about like the economy and how it'll do and everything if businesses face pressures that are similar to the kinds of pressures they face during a recession that's what a business recession is Mm -hmm. they stop hiring they go to cut costs and things on different stuff they try not to uh they do all those belt tightening things that they realize that there's stuff that they can do that they're forced to do now whereas in good times they weren't and especially things like what you're talking about there, like silicon valley type stuff and whatever it was never an issue you had like unlimited access to funding people weren't caring about you reporting profits and stuff and so you get very loose about that kind of stuff and there's a lot of fat to trim from them right where as opposed to like more competitive and tough industries and stuff Mm -hmm. they've already cut all that stuff it's the things that had good times that had the big boom that's what gets cut so much in a recession you know yeah and that's why i really like tillman fertita now this shock that he's going through is unlike anything but he always that's how he really grew his business Mm. was staying very lean when times were good to be able to you know even be a minnow swallowing a whale when times were bad that's how he really built his business yeah and we'll you know we'll see if there's a lot of opportunities for that with covid um we own one business uh in the uh auto dealer thing and i expect that they will acquire stuff well did you hear that they're starting to acquire another they're saying that they're in talks with more yeah dealerships yeah i heard the report one acquisition okay i heard the there's another yeah i heard the report that um from the seller side Mm -hmm. i heard the report that they were interested in selling and it was rumored to be virtu Uh yeah yeah i thought that was interesting um I spent some time this week thinking about Turtle Beach. We've kind of Turtle talked Beach, about the corporation here, H-E-A-R. Had headsets, head headsets, headsets, and things like yeah, that. Yeah, so I talked a little bit about that with Vela on the rundown. Okay. I thought it was a very interesting business. They have no debt, cash, benefiting immensely from work from home. Okay. In 2018, they benefited from sort of this new battle royale craze, which okay. is like Fortnite and all these other games. They acquired a company called Rocat, which is okay. your... The mouse that you use. I recognize the name. Okay. Mouse and keyboard, Rocat. And they're starting to make a push in like PC and stuff like that. And I just think e-gaming is, you know, we're still in the infancy stages of that. Actually, I drove past an e-gaming like convention center yesterday, okay. right yeah. by the um, new Texas Rangers stadium. Okay. I went to the Dodgers um, game yesterday, Dodgers and Braves. And okay. they have this massive st- uh, convention center that says e-gaming. I was All like, right. wow, that's fascinating. But so I spent some time looking at Turtle Beach Corporation. It's a business that's been around for a very long time. Like I said in the rundown, back when I was playing Xbox in middle school there was, and stuff like that, Turtle mm-hmm. Beach was the headset to have. Okay. And the other one that was out there was Astros, which is owned by Logitech. Okay. But they're guiding for $30 million in EBITDA. I think the market cap is around $300 million today and they're growing. 
but I felt like it was a situation sort of like Buffett where he couldn't, he didn't invest in Apple until it was like a proven, yeah. know, as opposed to a fad, because that's sort of what the bears think about it is, okay, well, in 2018, they benefited incredibly well from sort of this battle royale craze, which mm-hmm. I would actually argue is probably here to stay. I mean, like, there's a lot right. of people who are obsessed with sure. Fortnite and those types of games now. But how long does the headset last? Well, that's the thing, right? How often are people getting new headsets? I mean, they're, you're not, and headsets are cheap enough that you're not getting spare parts and servicing and mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, on they it. have so a it's mix. Purely, yeah, yeah. And there's some that are $30 up to like $150 right. or $200. But you're getting money on an initial sale. And then, like, how wobbly are the gross margins and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff? That's what always worries you about. They benefited through COVID. Their gross margins actually went up because they didn't have to have right. any promotions. You know, yeah. the supply-demand thing. Yeah. They did yeah. that really well. But I thought it was interesting. I don't think it's anything that we'd ever buy or have. It'd be hard to analyze. Like, look, if they're going to continue I, I looked, to grow yeah. 30%, yeah, probably paying 9 to 10 times EBITDA is probably going to be proven to be cheap, especially because they have no debt and cash. But yeah. I'm just like, I don't know how you'd sort of the predictability of it. I don't know how you would factor that in. Because I do think Battle Royale is, you know, those types of games. Like, people could argue, well, that was a 2018 thing, uh, year thing. I don't know if exactly that's true. We're from home. Sure, I agree with that. The new Xbox and PlayStation coming mm-hmm. out in November. And based on past events, when somebody apparently buys a new Xbox or buys a new PlayStation, right. they're more inclined to purchase a new headset. Mm-hmm. Esports is something that I think is going to be very big. So they're making yeah. a push for like marketing and sort of stuff. Uh, like that. They're yeah. doing everything right. I think they have like influencers, mm-hmm. you know, people on the NBA, people on Instagram. They're doing everything I think the right way. But it's just like I don't know. How yeah, you would handicap that. I don't know about the competition thing, right? So if uh, my concern would be, are the way people buying this? is uh, that they go into a Best Buy and look around and that they type in into Amazon. And in both cases, they're being shown other choices that aren't uh-huh. uh, from, from Turtle Beach and stuff. And so if that's the case, you know, then you're buying something, like I've said before, like appliance-type things and stuff like that. That's the risk for it. And then what you see in those things is like the margins and stuff tend to be, the gross margins and stuff tend to be pretty good in years like the ones we're talking about where mm-hmm. something drives up demand a little bit. Um, and so they almost look a little more commodity-like um, um, because, uh, let's see, um, Turtle Beach. Turtle Beach Corporation. Yeah, let's see. Well, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, those are some, I mean, some things must have changed and stuff, but that's, that's, that's from some, Battle Royale. Yeah. So but, for people just yeah. listening, 2017 revenue, 149 million, 218 revenue, 287 million. And that's when, um, like uh, Fortnite and all those other games came out. Yeah. And the, the gross profit is all over the place that way. I mean, basically their gross profit doubled because of that, which mm-hmm. of course made their operating profit go up tenfold. Um, but I mean, look, there's a year there where you have 25, not a year, there's three years there where you have like 25% type gross margins. And then there's some years where you have like almost 50% or 30 mm-hmm. something. That's a huge difference. So it seems to depend a lot on like um, demand that way. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, I don't know if the brand is strong enough that way and all that, you know, we're not talking about bows here, you know? Mm-hmm. So do you have an ability to price differently than your competitors? Um, and like target a segment of the market, you know? And I wonder how much are they just benefiting from the fact that there's a shortage of other supplies? So people are just buying. Just well, buy. I mean, that's what it, the financial, if we could go to quarterly yeah. and see, but, um, 
up 92% year over year. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Those are incredibly unstable gross margins. That's the thing that's mm -hmm. fascinating to me is how unstable the gross margins are, even on a quarterly basis and stuff. Um, that does worry me. So, so um, just fluctuations in gross margins tends to be a very strong indicator uh, that you're in a commodity type business that has to do with scarcity and stuff. Mm -hmm. So normally gross margins don't move around a lot unless you're in an industry like that. Um, and you know that those are kind of the industries I worry the most about. If we type in like, um, type in uh, Micron, that could be a good one to show people. Yeah. So this is one in terms of the gross margin you can see. This is an extreme commodity type thing. Mm -hmm. But you see that what worries me is that there can be years sometimes. This is much more variation than uh, than Turtle Beach. But you can see that in 2016, they had a gross margin of 20%. And in 2018, they had a gross margin of 59%. That only happens in commodity-type businesses. Mm -hmm. And what's happening is that you have an oversupply in some years, and then you have scarcity in other years. Now, I don't know that something like Turtle Beach will ever get oversupplied to the same extent that they would ever make that mistake, but um, it could happen. And certainly, when you see surging gross margins, it often could just be due to higher demand than expected, you know, mm -hmm. happening. Um, I, usually, if you have a really good business, your gross margins don't bounce around all that much. Um, it's just unusual to see that happen. Like they might gradually increase over time, but you don't see this dramatic changes in gross margins. That tends to be something that has to have some sort of commodity aspect to it. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I was, uh, I didn't think it's anything that we'd be interested in, but it was fun to learn about. Yeah. It has very volatile revenue stuff that way too. It's the same as gross margin. It does look more like, you know, capital goods type thing, like an appliance type thing or something that people buy it and then they use it for a few years and then they buy again and stuff. Not something that's like a very highly repeated purchase. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm drinking a Celsius right now. Okay. And I know you've seen them because I've emailed them to you. Have you seen, there's been a couple the of short, short reports yeah. that have come mm -hmm. out on, on our favorite product celsius i do not drink celsius to be fair because it has carbohydrates in it <laughs> oh god here are all the emails coming while um, so unhealthy. No, uh but yeah but that is true i had in the past and stuff yeah mm -hmm. um short reports yes we passed on the company about what <laughs> 90% which is massively rolled. Yeah, three, like, you know, yeah, it'd have to drop like 75. Three to 4%. Yeah, I'm sure it'd have to drop 75% or something to get back to where it was at. We could type it in to see. I think it was, yeah, I looked at it around. Um, yeah, so Four more than dollars. that. So three and a half times uh -huh. more than when, it, when I was looking at it. In terms of sales basis, I was looking at about four times uh -huh. sales or something, and now it's closer to 14 to 15. Um, I'm not sure we ever would have invested in the company for some reasons we didn't talk about really on, uh, uh, you know, on the podcast and stuff. I don't know that I love the management and stuff. Say, it's kind of stuff that a lot of the shorts are bringing up. I yeah, would say. it's the same stuff. I mean, there's one thing that's different um, that they're talking about accounting having to do with acquisitions and stuff. Yeah. And that's totally different. I didn't know. The distributor. I've never known much about their international operations. And it's very hard to do any, like, not just channel checking and stuff, but just have any feel for that. I mean, we know where they are in the U.S. and how they're expanding stuff. It's Nothing about the U.S. stuff has been out of line with what we've observed. So the growth numbers that they're showing us are very consistent with what you're seeing in terms of them getting convenience stores and totally in, in um, warehouse clubs and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I ask every single person that checks me out. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you guys selling a lot of Celsius? Because I, I probably mm -hmm. drink one a day. Mm -hmm. And every time they're like, 
yeah, it's always yeah. gone. Like it's just, we're selling so much of it. So I know the demand's there. I mean, you can look on Amazon. It's very popular on Amazon. You can look at yep. Google Trends. And just from, I've been starting to see it more and more. Mm -hmm. I felt kind of cool because I felt like I started, you started <laughs> drinking it before it was cool. And then I started drinking. I really uh -huh. liked it. Now it's really cool. Yeah. Um, and it's great product economics. Like mm -hmm. we said, we looked at like Monster or something to compare it to. I really do think that the economics have that potential um, that, you know, you see here with the gross profit and all that sort of thing, what it can be. And as you scale up and everything, it's just very attractive business. A beverage business is very attractive. Someone could pay a lot of money for it. I don't think someone's going to pay 15 times sales for it. But, yeah, um, but, but, you know, when it was selling at four times sales, might someone have paid, you know, six times or more? Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, that was a possibility, but I, I did read interviews with some management things and stuff like that, read presentations and things. And I was never in love with, um, sort of, uh, management and like investor relations, how they presented things and stuff. I know some people are, don't like the auditor here. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's, I mean, this was a very small company at the time. Um, it is, you know, let's try NASDAQ and all that sort of thing. If I remember about the auditor, they were using a local auditor and everything. So it, and it wasn't one of a handful of auditors that I know to be involved in auditing, like, clear frauds and things like that. So to me, it's not that out of line with what I come across a lot when looking at stocks. But certainly it was a lesser auditor than you often get with um, companies of this size and stuff. Uh, certainly of this size. No mm -hmm. no company that's $1.5 billion market cap that I'm aware of uses any auditor like this. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, you know, what was the company's market cap a year ago or something? Yeah. I mean, so it was a lot no. smaller. Yeah. Um, so I read in Barron's yesterday mm -hmm. that there are six new electric vehicle SPACs coming to market. Okay. Every single one of them. My two favorite things, electric vehicles and SPACs. SPACs. Every single one of them is pre-revenue. Yeah. And I, I just thought it was so funny because they gave, you know, future revenue. The, in the Barron's article, it gave the market value of it. And then like 2024 estimated revenue and mm -hmm. what they think so like this one that i thought was hilarious this company called fisker yeah their current market value is 3.9 billion mm -hmm. they're estimating 10.6 billion in revenue in 2024 okay they have bagel today zero okay. literally zero dollars in revenue mm -hmm. tesla took i think it said seven, around seven years to get to that point yeah you know and they're they have zero dollars in revenue so I, I wanted to ask you do you want to start us back yeah yeah um did you see this tweet i thought this tweet no. was actually pretty I, okay. I was super proud of this so I'm right. gonna, people will be able to listen to this so this whole sprack craze it reminds mm -hmm. me of a funny skit that jimmy kimmel did okay. on um on shark tank when he was selling horse pants people will be able mm -hmm. to hear this so I'm each, gonna, I'm gonna play. each horse is custom fit i actually fit each horse myself horses love them and with your help we can put them on all the horses in the world look at the opportunity here these are horses that are currently wearing pants. None. These are horses that could be wearing pants, all of them. And you can see the amount of money we will make is astronomical. Right now we're at zero, maybe even a little below that. We could go all the way up to 600, who knows, maybe even $700 billion. <laughs> you have any questions how much money have you invested well, that's in that this? yeah <laughs> horse pants mm -hmm. that's what i feel like a lot of these electric vehicles are like these facts yeah it's crazy it's crazy 
Yeah. Free revenue. That's true. Mm-hmm. The problem that annoys me, this mm-hmm. is not even an ego-driven thing. I okay. just think it's stupid, right? Is that for a lot of these, I'm starting to see a lot of these Forbes articles come out mm-hmm. claiming all these people are billionaires, the people that are taking these SPACs public and stuff. And I guess they are on paper, yeah. but it's just like they haven't even earned a focus compounding does more revenue than these companies. Like, that's, yeah, that's just like crazy. But that's how they're valued. It, yeah. It influences more bad act. I don't not saying they're bad actors, but I mean, I don't, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't, but I'm just saying, I mean, maybe it'll benefit society in some way because a lot of capital will go into electric vehicles and never would. You know, I mean, that's what happened with the internet stuff. Some money went into things that wouldn't otherwise is the only way that they could get money into them. Otherwise, you know, um, you'd already have a lot of uh, car companies putting money into it and doing this. Um, I don't know. My, it's it's all focused in. This is similar to like the late 1990s on a few different areas that have become very popular. And one of those, so SPAC is part of that. But another one is electric vehicles. I don't really understand why that's like a big fixation for the market, but it is. It's one of those areas that is. And so there's lots of other things. I mean, it could be all sorts of other kinds of clean energy and stuff, but it's not. It's with electric cars specifically. Um, I don't know. I mean, specifically, it might be that some people can imagine it has a consumer angle to it, you know, that Mm -hmm. way. And then you have one success story in Tesla. Um, We talked a little bit about this. I, I, so far, I'd say electric vehicles um, and autonomous driving both have been adopted at a lower rate than I expected. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And we talked about this when I was talking about Kindle and eBooks and stuff. If you look to me, part of the problem that I'm seeing is that you say, okay, you take anything that isn't just, um, purely gasoline engine. So hybrids and electric together, because I think a significant amount of the pickup in electric is a decline in hybrids. I mean, I think you have to account for that fact. I don't know that the market is like that. You don't take that into account that there's something that's a similar alternative. Um, and together they haven't grown that much. You know, you had a peak in hybrids and then pick up an electric and stuff, and they haven't had this tremendous growth, the two of them together. Um, it's okay, but on a unit basis and stuff, it's not very high to attract this much attention. So maybe it'll happen one day, um, but I don't kind of get it. I've talked to some people about it, so I don't know. I, people are very interested in it, though, are very interested in electric. I'm not sure what that's all about. Um, it may get a lot cheaper eventually. I guess that's part of the idea behind it. Um, I don't know if it'll be a huge part of the market and when it would be a huge part of the market. I figured that autonomous driving would drive a lot of the electric. So I think the fact that autonomous driving hasn't caught on as quickly as I thought it might have, and I didn't have high expectations for it compared to some people, I guess, but like I expected it to be further along than it is now. Um, I think that's kind of maybe hurt electric. So I don't know that I have as high hopes for electric now as I would have. I think if you asked me five years ago, I would have had expected, I would have had a projection for more electric vehicle than there has been. Mm-hmm. So, but Interesting. It, it, I mean, have you looked at any SPACs recently other than Playboy? No, I don't think I have looked at any uh, SPACs recently. No. I'm trying to think about that. No. Um, I mean, this kind of thing is a craze that's, common to all kind of bubbles this happens in like every bubble um where you are we in a bubble in electric vehicles and spacs yeah yes in general in electric vehicles and spacs and stuff yeah Mm -hmm. yeah um you have this sort of thing where there's a focus on 
financial engineering, mm-hmm. right? So whether it was the conglomerate bubble uh, in the like 1960s and stuff, or whether it was they did they had stuff that they that weren't wasn't quite SPACs, but it was awfully similar funds that would hold very illiquid stock and things that um, didn't really do anything and stuff like that. So very similar to SPACs, and then we actually had some SPACs like 10 years ago or so, uh, more than 10 years ago now, like 13 years ago. Um, so it's kind of common to those things. I, this thing happens when you get in bubbles in which it earnings to a certain degree, like constrains a stock's price because you look at it and you go, Oh, that's a hundred times earnings. So it's better to not have earnings, you know, mm-hmm. um, being pre-revenue allows you to not have an EV to sales and stuff. So it's a benefit that you can have from that when selling it to the public, you know, because then they'll look at things at other measures that you want them to look at. And so you are harmed to the extent they have a more established business that people can uh, look at that way. And that is something that's probably the most definitive marker of a bubble is that things that are hard to value dramatically increase in price versus things that are easier to value. So like you start to see things like a common thing in bubbles is like gold goes up a lot more than metals that can actually be used for industrial purposes because there's no real anchor to the price of gold. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't have other uses except as a precious metal. You start seeing land prices go surging up in a way that the crops that are on the land prices are not being affected. That's kind of the key tip offs to like there's a bubble. Same thing would presumably be true here. If you look at General Motors or something. You could value whatever they're doing in electric vehicles, mm-hmm. but you can put a number on it, right? But a pre-revenue thing, you can't. So does that go up a lot and then other things not? And we've seen that before, you know, like um, a while ago, there was some stuff with um, meat alternative, you know, fake mm-hmm. burgers and things like that. And it's interesting because it drives up the price of the things that are listed that are just doing that, even though they're food companies that are in that business. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't make them go through the roof. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not saying there won't be huge electrical vehicle things, but to be honest, who's going to be most likely selling the most electric vehicles? I mean, they're the big automakers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. I mean, I don't know all the details about these, but generally, these are not a, for the, the... I don't know about these ones that are pre-revenue and stuff, but historically, we're talking about things that are not really all that technology-driven in the sense that they did not develop their own technology. That's the key things to overcome here to sell. Um, they are consumer facing stuff. So, I mean like Tesla and stuff, Tesla's selling a brand and things like that. And sure. that's how it's been a success. You're not talking about something that's just a battery company. Um, and I think that most of the things that like most things Tesla has been successful with are things that other automakers could also be successful with. That doesn't mean Tesla won't, be a big success, but it just means it'll be one among many that will be doing a lot of the same sorts of things. Um, so we'll see. Uh, there was a pretty big bubble in, um, yeah, or I shouldn't say bubble, but there's a lot of investing in um, auto companies when the car first became big. And the, you know, if you hit one big one, I guess it's a big success, but you have to understand in autos compared to other things, almost all models fail. So like um, in the first 40, 50 years of cars, there were about two to 3,000 models introduced. And by the end of that period, about 50 years after the first um, popular models of cars were being sold, um, in any given year, there were about 20 to 30 models still around, 
right? Wow. So most get discontinued after not that long. Most car makers, of course, failed. But not just the car makers failed, but most models that try to be introduced by a major um, car company don't have a lot of success. There's just not a lot of room for it that way. So I think it's insanely speculative, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, are there any new books that you've been reading recently? I have read some books recently. Um, let's see. I read um, I read two books on John Templeton. Neither of them are really that much worth talking about. Templeton's kind of an interesting person, but I've I've read the books before and I reread them, and they don't have a ton of information on him. There's not as much information as I'd like about him and what he did specifically. Yeah. Um, I wonder. I was just thinking about this. We could close up after this. Okay. What is a best held belief that you have had related to investing that you think you have destroyed in 2020? <laughs> Did I destroy a best held belief in 2020? I don't know. I probably don't think I've destroyed a best held belief in 2020. Um, uh, no, I, I can't think of one. Why? I'm just kind of curious. No, I, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm trying to even think what things over time were, I mean, maybe I didn't hold that many beliefs strongly enough (laughs) that there's some things in which there's been adjustments in some sort of stuff, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't know that 2020 has been a big thing in terms of changing that stuff. I mean, for me at least, Mm -hmm. you know, um, the early experience of COVID was very different than other things that I had ever experienced. Okay. So the, um, the only similarity being the financial panic really, and especially the, um, the, uh, what was, I guess, tarp or whatever failure in the house, um, when it was voted down. Um, so the COVID for that, um, you know, third week or so in March or whatever, that's only comparable to something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, back to 08. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's the only thing that I could think of as being similar in terms of what was happening. I mean, in fact, the drops were bigger in this year. Um, but the chaos that there was of things and the constant news things of it and news being wrong pretty quickly and you know, whatever, and how quick things were changing and everything. Um, but then for the rest of the year, you know, this, a lot of the things like the pre-revenue SPACs and things, they don't surprise me. Mm -hmm. Like the Robin hood thing. I lived through the 1990s. So it's, this is what you see. Mm -hmm. This is what happens when, and you know, money's at 0% and you know, people are, people look for action, like, you know, for gambling basically any way that they can and stuff. And so you have some things like that. And then over time, what happens is everyone slowly, it slowly spreads to everybody. So by the end of it, even the most conservative people and stuff start to believe that some of this stuff is more, it becomes more and more normalized, Hmm. certain behavior. So, you know, um, like, is it insane that there are these things called SPACs and stuff? No one believes anymore. Now they're just like, oh, some are good and some are bad or whatever. Not, is it really appropriate for this to exist in our markets and stuff and for the general public to be, you know, have their attention drawn to this and all that sort of thing, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean... You know, and not that long ago, people would have seen that differently, you know, and that's just what happens over time. And then later people will be like, oh, wasn't this weird that we were all doing this? Do you have any predictions for COVID going into the fall and winter 
and maybe the reaction of people fiscally, et cetera, into the end of the year? My guess is the reaction fiscally, fiscally is just go crazy. Because it's like what I said about the SPACs and things. Like if you have gradually been for the last decade or so getting very comfortable with the idea of big deficits and things like that and nothing happens immediately, which it doesn't in any of these cases. Nothing happens immediately when you're doing things that might cause inflation. Nothing happens immediately when you're doing things that might cause all sorts of other problems. It happens gradually over time. And so um, I think the reaction to voters people of both parties and congress and stuff will be like yeah we can spend all the things that we want borrow as much as we want and things like that sure i think that that was likely what will happen because it's not usually like even though the time to do that was immediately with the financial crisis to have these you know economists and stuff would say do these huge programs and whatever things and stuff that's not how like the general public and politicians stuff they gradually adjust to all these things. So like if not, if years go by and you start to do things a little riskier, a little riskier and nothing bad happens, then you just, Oh, this is, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. So you come to the point where you're like, it doesn't matter. And that will go on until some point where it does matter. And then people's attitudes will shift, but it takes like a really long time for that to happen. So I would not be surprised. Yeah. I wouldn't surprise me at all. If there was a willingness, you know, to spend a lot and to tax a little and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. That would make a lot of sense to me just because you've run deficits for a while now with absolutely nothing negative happening and interest rates going to nothing and all that mm -hmm. while you were doing it. So I think that's probably been a pretty big shift over the last 10 years or so. I wonder if you think we're going to have a spike in COVID cases and how that's going to affect companies. We've talked about movie theaters recently. Uh, yeah, I don't think any spike in COVID, no matter how serious and stuff, will have the same economic impact that it did earlier in the year, um, just because people are used to it. Mm -hmm. And so I think the behavior modification will be like, it'll happen and everything, but it won't be that extreme to th things like that. I have no idea about the shopping season and stuff for, for retailers and things like that, about Christmas and all of those sorts of things and how much it affects them for that kind of stuff. And I don't know how much they intend to order for that kind of stuff. That's an interesting thing because they've been doing it for a while. You have to get ready a long time in advance. So I don't know if there'll be low amounts of inventory compared to what will actually be sold and stuff like that. You know, that's hard for some of them. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Got it. Cool. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for being a subscriber and tuning in with us here today. Email me focuscompounding at gmail.com and we'll have a segment at the end of every show that we do where we will read live like three, four, five emails every single time. Oh, so okay. I don't want to have to email myself from different domains. <laughs> All right. So email me, focuscompounding at gmail.com. Thank you so much for being a subscriber to the app. We appreciate all the support and we will see you on our private podcast next weekend. Take care.